0: Hey everyone, welcome back to First Methodist Church's online campus. We're so glad that you choose to join us and be a part of this online community. Before we get into what we're gonna talk about today, I do wanna say that I hope that this online campus is a blessing for you. I hope it's an opportunity for you to not only grow in your faith, but to engage your faith with other believers. So we wanna encourage you to not just listen, but to participate. If you have prayer requests, post those in the comments. If you have questions about the sermons, post those in the comments. If you wanna hear from a pastor, or if you need pastoral care, please post in the comments. We want this to be a campus that blesses you and serves as a community of faith for you. All right, well, with that being said, if we haven't met or if you haven't heard me uh, preach our online sermon, sermon before, my name is Charlie and I pastor First Methodist Amarillo campus. And again, welcome because today we're going to be actually engaging in and looking at week 3 of our sermon series on ascension. This is going to be the last sermon in the series. We're going to be wrapping up this series today. And so what I thought I would do is I would spend just the first few moments recapping what we've talked about up till now just in case you haven't listened to one of the other sermons in the series. You'll be caught up and kind of know what we're going to be talking about today. Well, our, our hope in writing this series on Ascension was to elevate our understanding and, and also our value of this significant Christian event that we call Ascension. Ascension is the, the moment in time where, where Jesus ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God the Father. Our prayer is that this, this series, this Ascension series, would raise the value of that moment, and that it would be as significant and as critical, it would be viewed as critical as Christmas and Easter. Our hope is that you'll see the same amount of value in the ascension as you do the incarnation of Jesus at his birth in Bethlehem or the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate that took place in Jerusalem. Now, again, we began this series by stating that the ascension establishes that Jesus is Lord. What that means is that Jesus is alive right now, and he's ruling and reigning as king of the heavenly kingdom right now. And as king, Jesus is not sitting back in his kingdom waiting on you and I to get to heaven. No, he's, he's actually inviting us to participate and his plan to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and so that means that heaven is not a place that we escape to after this lifetime heaven is a kingdom that you and i are invited by our king to usher into the earth we said that last week heaven is not a place that you escape to heaven is a kingdom that you usher in and then last week we looked at how the ascension fulfilled what Jesus taught in John 14, 12. Let me read that verse for you. It says this, this is the words of Jesus. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. What we said is that the ascension fulfills these words because the ascension was the catalyst that that enacted the Holy Spirit. As Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended to the earth and lived in the hearts of those who were followers of Christ and empowered them to continue and expand the work of Jesus Christ here on earth. And so what we said is that the ascension magnifies the ministry of Christ, that Christ said it was better for him to go because we would continue the work he did to seek and save the lost. We talked about that in Luke 19.10. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We're going to continue that work. And Jesus himself in John 14.12 said that we would even do greater things than he because we've been empowered and we've received the Holy Spirit. And so we ended last week's sermon with two questions, if you didn't watch that. The two questions that we asked were, how will you magnify the ministry of Jesus? And what are you willing to ask for in Jesus' name? Because John 14, 13 and 14 says, Jesus tells his disciples and tells you and I that whatever we ask for in Jesus' name, he will do. And so if we're going to continue the work of Jesus, are we asking for help? Are we asking for empowerment? Are we asking for guidance in Jesus' name as we seek to follow his example and continue his ministry to find the lost and to introduce them to the love of Jesus? So we ended last week with two questions. I want to begin this week's sermon with one question. I want to ask the question, what is keeping you from magnifying the ministry of Jesus. We said last week that that's what the ascension means. That's that's part of what makes it significant is that it, it means that you and I are receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and that we are supposed to continue the ministry of Jesus and we're supposed to magnify, expand, make bigger the ministry of Jesus. So what is keeping you from magnifying the ministry of Jesus? What's keeping me from magnifying the ministry of Jesus? Well, in my experience, I've served in pastoral ministry at close to 20 years at this point in, in my life. And in my experience, typically there's one of three reasons that keeps people from participating in and magnifying the ministry of Jesus, answering that call. So those three things are either pride, shame, or fear. And so today, what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time exploring how the Ascension addresses each of those obstacles and in essence moves them out of the way, attempts to get them out of the way so that we can answer that call of Jesus to seek and save the lost. Now, since pride and shame are are typically two ends of the same pendulum, I want to start by talking about both of those, about pride and about shame. Now, I want to start with pride, and I want to clarify something here that I think is important. I want to clarify that pride in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. I think Jesus wants us to be proud of ourselves when we accomplish a goal. I think God the Father understands that sense of pride that we have in our children when they have an achievement, when they achieve something that they set out to do. So pride in and of itself is not a bad thing. We have a problem when pride begins to determine what we will or won't do. When pride decides when we will or will not serve, or when pride decides who we will or will not serve, that's when we have a problem. And Philippians 2, 1 through 8 really addresses this problem really well. And so I'm going to read those verses for us. This is Philippians 2, 1 through 8. And it says this, If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility, regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, if, if Jesus, Jesus was equal with God, Jesus is God. And if Jesus would have allowed his pride to determine his actions, he never would have descended to the earth. He never would have been incarnate in a human body. He never would have suffered the human existence. He never would have died on the cross if he let his pride determine who he would and would not serve and what he would and would not do. He acted in humility. He submitted himself, even similar to a slave, and came in human likeness. Did not consider equality with God as something to grasp. This is why Paul urges you and me to have the same mind, to think the same way, to act the same way that Jesus did. He was willing to descend. He was willing to humble himself. He was willing to set aside his rights and his privileges in order to accomplish the will of the Father to seek and save the lost. I think it's interesting that when you contrast Jesus with the Pharisees, it was the pride of the Pharisees. It was their pride, it was their arrogance that inspired them to attempt to usurp the rescue plan that God had for the world. Now, if we want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, if we want to follow Jesus' example and live a life of humility, what that means is that pride, pride can be in the car, but pride can't be in the driver's seat. Pride can be a part of our life. We can be proud of ourselves. We can be proud of those around us. Uh, That's a good and natural thing. But pride can't be in the driver's seat. Pride can't be the one deciding what we will or will, will not do or who we will or will not serve. Now, if pride isn't what prevents us from magnifying the ministry of Christ, many times, if it's not pride, people swing to the other pendulum and it's shame. See, pride says that I'm too important Pride says that what I want to do is more important than what God commands me to do. Pride convinces us that what we think we need to do is more significant and more timely and more important than whatever it was that God commanded us to do. Now, the opposite end of that thinking is shame, and shame says that I'm simply too broken for God to use. I'm simply too broken to participate in his call to magnify his ministry. Both of those are lies. Now, in order to address this second lie of shame, I need to make an an important distinction. I need to make a distinction between the flesh and humanity. Flesh and humanity. The flesh is actually a common biblical term that's used to describe what the Bible calls the sin nature, this this propensity for humanity to sin. Now, prior to Christ, we were slaves to sin. We we had no choice. We had no freedom in that. We were slaves to sin. But after we become Christians, John Wesley would teach that that the sin nature is defeated but not removed. So that means is even after becoming a Christian, you can experience temptation. Uh, sin is creeping at the door, trying to draw you away from God's presence, but you're not a slave to it. it you're, the, sin has been, the sin nature has been defeated. So you can be tempted, but you also have the power through the Holy Spirit to overcome that temptation and avoid committing sin. Now, in contrast to that, we have humanity. The flesh is our sin nature. Humanity is what I would use to describe all that we received when we were created in the image of God. See, when we were created in the image of God, we were given freedom, freedom of choice. We were given the opportunity to communicate. We were given the opportunity to be creative. We were also given the responsibility. When we are created in the image of God, we were, we were called and expected to reflect His morality in the world. We were supposed to reflect His morality in how we loved God. We were supposed to reflect His morality in how we loved one another, how we treated and cared for creation. In other words, we were expected to be a reflection of God's perfection or a reflection of God's holy love. Being created in the image of God is what enables us to fulfill and obey the two commandments that Jesus said were the greatest. Those are found in Mark 12, 30, and 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These are the words of Jesus in Mark 12, 30, and 31. So unfortunately, what has happened somehow is we have confused our flesh, our sin nature with humanity. Throughout the centuries, this idea has bubbled up over and over again that in order to be godly, we somehow have to shed our humanity, that that ultimately in order to access God, we have to reject or cast off our humanity, that there's this idea that that the spirit, our spirit is really all that matters and everything else, our, our humanity, our body, our mind gets in the way of that. And we have to somehow overcome that in order to access God. One example of that is a common heresy the church known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And Gnosticism teaches that creation was either created by a lesser divine being or that creation, that matter, that um, our bodies were corrupted or evil and therefore an obstacle in order to be godly. This line of thinking can easily inspire us to believe that we are too corrupted, that humanity is too broken in order for God to use. So it's, you see where this stirs up shame. This this could keep us from, from pursuing God. This could... Be an obstacle to us magnifying the ministry of Jesus. I'm so thankful, so thankful that the ascension destroys this idea that humanity in and of itself is bad and prevents us from accessing God. I want to read you a quote from Stephen Siemens. Stephen Siemens wrote the book The Unseen Real, which was heavily influenced our Ascension series over the past three weeks. I highly recommend it to you. I think it's a great book to read individually. It'd also be a great book to discuss uh, on, a, on a Zoom meeting or uh, in like an online discussion because each chapter has questions to consider uh, so that, that you can be helped in applying that, that chapter's uh, insight and information. But this is what Stephen Siemens says. In the incarnation, God honors and affirms humanity by coming down and becoming human in the person of his son. Yet in the ascension, God goes even further by raising our human nature and taking it into himself. Nowhere in scripture will you find evidence of Jesus casting off his humanity in order to participate and continue to be a part of the Trinity. Nowhere is there proof that Jesus had to remove his humanity, he had to remove his body in order to sit at the Father's right hand. In fact, time and time again as you read scripture, you'll find evidence, you'll find proof that Jesus indeed had a body after the resurrection. Let me give you a few examples. In John 20, there's two examples. The first is Mary. When when Mary meets Jesus after the resurrection, Jesus has to say, hey, 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 you, you can't cling to me. You can't hang on to me because I have to ascend. I have to go to the Father. In that same chapter, we find Jesus trying to encourage the faith of Thomas by saying, hey, Thomas, come over here and put your hands in my wounds. Touch, Touch where I was pierced with the nail. Touch where I was pierced with the spear. Touch my body is what Jesus was essentially saying. And then if you go over to Luke 24, Luke 24 describes an instance where Jesus not only appeared to his disciples, but he ate fish with them. I think it's pretty clear that you can't eat fish if you don't have a body. Jesus when he was resurrected, did not resurrect in only a spiritual form. He was resurrected with a glorified body. And the fact that Jesus ascended with his humanity, Jesus ascended to the throne of the kingdom of God with a body means for you and me that our bodies, that our humanity is not an obstacle for us to access God. So he, so the Ascension really celebrates humanity. And the unseen real Archbishop William Temple is actually described as being fond of saying that Christianity is the most materialistic religion in the world. <laughs> now, on the surface, that sounds like criticism, but in reality, uh, Archbishop William Temple is not speaking negatively of Christianity. It's, it's quite the opposite. Christianity teaches that God created the material world, that God created humans in his image. And after he created the world and after he created humans, he sat back and surveyed everything that he created and he said, you know what, this is good. What I've done, what I have created, the world and humans is good. But it goes beyond that. Christianity also teaches that after the world was corrupted, after the world was compromised by the rebellion and the sin of human beings, Christianity teaches that God descended and took on matter, took on a body and lived among us to live out a plan of redemption for humanity and healing for creation. Our bodies are not bad. Our bodies are not an obstacle to accessing God, the ascension reveals that. The ascension is evidence that Christians don't need to demean their bodies. They don't have to reject creation or somehow overcome their humanness in order to approach God the Father. The ascension celebrates humanity. Now. Again, in my experience, if pride is not the problem, it's typically shame. And if pride or shame aren't the problem, typically the obstacle for people following Christ and magnifying his ministry, living and pursuing the same example of life that Jesus lived, the the obstacle is typically fear. Fear. Now, there are more fears that we could list than we really have time in this conversation to list. So if we boiled all of it down, if we boiled all of our fears down, I think ultimately what we would find is a hesitation. A hesitation to follow Jesus because there is a fear that the sacrifices required to follow Jesus aren't going to be worth it. That's the the ultimate fear that if I give my life, if I serve, if I sacrifice, if I commit to Jesus, will it be worth it in the end? I can't tell you how many times uh, as a pastor, I've heard Christians say things like this. Well, I better have all the fun I can now because I know when I get to heaven, it's going to be really boring. Or, uh, I I know someday I have to go to heaven, I have to die and and, and leave this earth, but I don't wanna do it anytime soon. I wanna stay here and have fun with my friends and with my family. Church, I have to tell you that that is not how Jesus lived his life. That's not how Jesus viewed eternity. He didn't think of eternity as something boring and something to be delayed as long as possible. Let me read for you what it says in Hebrews 12, one and two. It says this Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus faced the hardships of this world. Jesus endured, Jesus overcame, Jesus paid the painful price for our salvation, not by looking to the world for comfort, not by uh, finding relief in the present day. No, Jesus endured, Jesus faced the fears of this world by looking to the joy that was before him looking for the joy that was going to come to this earth, that was going to be accomplished. He looked towards eternity and because of the joy that he saw there was willing to endure the hardships and face the fears of this world. Jesus anticipated the glory of the kingdom of heaven being brought to earth. Jesus anticipated their reuniting, of God and his people. Jesus looked with a vision focused on what was described in Revelation nineteen six through eight. Let me read that for you. It says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of the great multitude that like the sound of many waters and like the, the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord God of the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You see, Jesus lived his life with a belief that the celebration would be worthy of the sacrifice. The sacrifices made now would be acceptable because of the celebration that was to come. Jesus believed that the celebration would be worthy of the sacrifice. Jesus believed that the reuniting of God and God's people, the reuniting of God, the creator uh, of Jesus and his bride, the church, the celebration of that, the glory of that would be worth facing the fears now, overcoming the obstacles now. So if Jesus believed that the sacrifice would be, that the celebration would be worthy of the sacrifice, I think it's safe for us to believe that as well. The celebration, the end result will be worthy of the sacrifice now. So as we wrap up today, I have a couple of next steps for you, a couple of questions I'd encourage you to, to think through. And, and if, you, if you feel so bold, you're welcome to post your answers in the comments. Uh, if you have questions of how to really apply what we've talked about today, you can post that in the comments. And, and one, of our, one of our team members will reach out to you and, and have a, a conversation with you. But these are the questions I want you to be asking in response to today's uh, conversation. What keeps you, what do you think keeps you from magnifying the ministry of Christ the most? Is it pride? Is it shame? Or is it fear? And then based on your answer to that question, my, my second question would be, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to continue to let pride, fear, or shame control you and prevent you from following in the footsteps of Jesus? Or are you going to do something about it? Are you going to, What are you going to do to remove that obstacle so you can, you can sacrifice now and participate in the celebration in eternity? Well, I hope this conversation has been helpful for you. I hope you're blessed by our online campus, our online community. We're here for you. If there's something we can do to serve you or to pray for you, uh, please let us know. May God bless you today as you magnify the ministry of Jesus. Amen.